as advertised, I do want to talk about 2 Timothy, but first I want to talk a little bit about puzzles. That's right, I said puzzles. Uh, I'm one of four kids, and growing up we worked a lot of puzzles, um, and we actually had a lot of conflict in the area of working puzzles. I know you really can't get a more straightforward, non-contentious activity than working puzzles, but leave it to us to figure out some way to make it divisive and make it difficult. And we did. And um, all of the conflict revolved around who would get to put the last piece in the puzzle. Because it really didn't matter how, if you had put in all the rest of the pieces, it's the one who got to put that last piece in and that satisfaction of seeing the whole image laid out perfectly in front of you and you were the one that did that. I mean, you just had to have it. If you didn't do that, then it just defeats the whole purpose of the puzzle. So, with all the conflict, we came up with a solution, and that was to make each other a promise. And we promised each other that we would take turns with each puzzle, and that somebody else, it would be their turn to put in the last piece. And everybody else promised that they would honor that promise. But this is what would happen. I don't know if this has ever happened in your house. So we would get to working the puzzle, and it would be your turn to put in the last piece. And all the pieces would start disappearing. you get close, and you get excited. And you would start to look into the eyes of the siblings all around you that you've been in conflict with. And your confidence in that promise you know, starts to decline. So you do what any reasonable person would do, and you would kind of hedge your bets. You would take one little piece when no one's looking and slide it off the table and hide it in your pocket. So you knew that if someone tried to take your last piece, then you had a safety net. But it always happened the exact same phenomenon. We would get to the end, and all the pieces would be off the table, all the loose pieces, the puzzle worked, and there would be exactly four pieces missing out of the puzzle. Because everybody had hidden a piece for themselves, because they wanted to put the last piece in. That feels safe. I think we kind of understand this type of situation, is it feels safer to have a backup to kind of hedge your bets than it is to depend on promises always. Because promises are just promises. They're not money in the bank. And this is the situation we're coming to here with Timothy. Paul has spent the first chapter outlining for his companion and encouraging him to continue in the work of ministry by, out, by lining out a lot of promises that are found in the gospel. The promise of eternal life an immortality, the promise of a new calling, a holy calling, and the confidence that Timothy could have because of the Holy Spirit that's been sent to him to encourage him along the way. But then as he, Paul's transitioning and giving specific commands to Timothy, because he knows as soon as he gets in the real world and is faced with real world situations, that trusting in the promises is not so easy. And it's going to be the great temptation of Timothy to hedge his bets and to find other ways to get security other than just depending on the promises. And it's the same for us, I think. As we, if we belong to Christ, have been called into his service, then we enjoy the benefits of the promises and we don't want to do away with them by any means. But the situations we face every day in our real lives are often difficult and they don't feel that safe. And so there are other ways that we can hedge our own bets to make ourselves feel safer in addition to the promises we get from Jesus. So this is the situation we're going to look at here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, and here's how we're going to proceed. You're going to see, you can see in your handout if you have one that we're going to first look at what feels safe 
You notice in the reading that Paul gave three metaphors in the last three verses. We're going to look at each one of those and ask what feels safe to us. And then we are going to look at what Paul says is safe, on the contrary. And then we're going to finish by seeing if we get any resources here on how to choose between the two. So that's what we're going to do. Let's jump right in. What feels safe? If you'll look at verse 4, let's look at this first metaphor. And Paul tells Timothy that no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And we might take this to think that what Paul's telling Timothy to do is to have nothing to do with worldly activities like providing for himself or even recreation or anything like that and that maybe he should spend all of his time in prayer and meditation and spending time with Paul as mentors and that kind of thing. But I don't think this is what this metaphor is encouraging us to think about and there's a different concern that he has in mind. And that's... The risk here is that a soldier who gets entangled in civilian pursuits, that word, it, it pretty much means to become immobilized, like to have so many pursuits that they can't move, can't do anything else, or is completely consumed by the situation and can't move. So that's the concern here. The concern is that, and we can relate to the soldier, that he would have a master and his income would come from him, his Uh, His orders would come from him. His whole life is consumed by the one who enlisted him. But in just depending on that, we can understand why he might want to have a little something on the side to kind of maybe to boost his income a little bit um, or, you know, boost his fun or whatever he's interested in. And that would make sense to us. But there's a risk here that Paul is saying that, that his attention might become so divided and going after these other supplemental things that he'll miss out on the one thing that is the most important to him. So what feels safe about this? I think that what Paul is outlining is there's going to be a temptation for Timothy that he will feel safer when he has multiple assets rather than all of his money in one place. And this is just good sense. I mean, if you're investing, you don't want to put all of your money on one place because if the investment goes south, you lose everything. That's just good sense to kind of spread it around and to have some backup plans. But, you know, how does this work? How does this work in our real lives? If we move away from the metaphor and think about this, you know, I was thinking about this and even found myself this afternoon saying something like to Lauren and talking that, you know, I, I, I need the promises of God, but if I'm really to love people and to take care of them, I kind of need a calm and ordered and quiet house living environment as well so my energy isn't sucked up and so you know i can go do it you know it's it's god's promises plus something else it could be god's promises but you know until i have a certain amount of money in the bank i can't really go spend time with my kids and raise them i've got to make sure i get this so that i really feel safe and secure i have god's promises and i have a little backup security over here as well or I, you know, I say I can't be happy unless I have God's promises, or I live in this home in this neighborhood, or that I can't really serve and invest my energy um, into serving God unless my career is fulfilling, that it's a boost, and that I feel good in life, and I know that my life is going to be fulfilled before I start giving up and you know serving anybody else. You know, there are all kinds of ways that we do this because it feels safer to us to have more than just a promise. 
So that at the end of our life, if things go south, if this Christian thing doesn't work out, I will at least have had all of these other things so that my life will be full. And I can say that, you know, I've lived well and had a good life. But is it really safe? You know, Paul's warning here is that although it feels safe to have multiple assets, that there is a risk involved here and that we might miss the very one thing that we need most. So let's look at this other, the other metaphor, an athlete. Uh, this is in verse 5. He says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And think about it. Why does, why does an athlete or any kind of competitor cheat? You've been moving it out of athletics. If you're the kind of person who plays Monopoly and you're always the banker and you're sliding money out and you know, hiding in your pocket and stuff, you, know, you can tell I'm a delight to play board games with. Um, I've never done that. You know, why do you do that? You know you're not going to win until the game is completed. But I think what it does is it gives a sense of security in the present that you have some reassurances that the outcome is going to go your way. So like if you're hiding money and you're boosting your bank account, you know now that my chances of success have gone up and I, have to, I don't have to be quite as anxious about it. And I can feel good about my chances. So cheating, it kind of gives present securities in whatever the situation. Um, and, you know, how do we do this in the Christian life? I think, that, think about this. You think about somebody that, well, first let me back up. And say, if cheating in the Christian life essentially is doing anything other than the gospel of grace for sinners that has been offered to us in the scriptures. So if you think about somebody that you really dislike, that you think down upon, that you don't think is living life well, that you, you feel a sense of superiority about, you know, essentially self-righteousness and condemnation of other people is a way of bending the rules of the gospel, of God's extending mercy to people who don't deserve it in order to, to serve our own benefits. Because we know if we are better than these people... It, we feel more likely that things are going to turn out well for us in the end. So being better than other people in a judgmental sense actually gives us a sense of security that our end is going to be good. At least, you know, it'll be better than those people. I think about this in relation to parenting my kids, how easy it is to resort to modifying their behavior rather than engaging with them in discipleship. Because if they can just act well and I can, you know, press them so I see fruit in the present, I get a level of confidence that the Spirit is actually working with them and that they're going to turn out well in the end. You know, I really don't want to wait to find out. I would rather have a sense of fruit right now. But that's not really the picture of the gospel. These are ways we can bend it, we can break the rules in order to move the advantage in our favor so we get a sense of security in the present. And lastly, this last metaphor in verse 6, in addition to feeling safe having multiple assets, and it feels safe having present, cert- present uh, reassurances or certainties, we see in this metaphor of a farmer that it also feels safe when things come easy and we don't have to give a big output. Think about a farmer. It says a farmer ought to have the first share of the crops, the hardworking farmer. Why would a farmer not work hard, or anybody not work hard? 
The reason why we wouldn't put effort into something is because we don't know that the effort is going to be worth the reward that's going to come. You know, it's kind of risky. You think about this all the time if you're trying to fix something in your house and you're putting a lot of labor in it and you realize this is going to be really labor-intensive to fix, it might be better to just throw the thing away rather than spend the time it would take to fix it. It's that kind of thing. So like, it feels safer to us to have things come easy because we know that the reward will be worth it. If we have to put out a lot, then the worth all of a sudden becomes risky. I mean, for us, we often don't know if serving or giving or forgiving other people or enduring in difficult circumstances of suffering is really going to be worth the outcome in the end. Again, if this Christian thing goes south, there's the risk. I might have put all of this into it and then come up with nothing in my hands. It feels safer for it to take the easy way out in the short term. So what do we see here? What feels safe? I think if we put it together, we see it feels safe to have multiple assets. It feels safe to have present certainties. And it feels safe to take the easy way out. In other words... We want more, we want it now, and we want it easy. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I mean, you ever you feel those urges inside of yourself to have more and to have it now and to have it easy? You know, I think the more I think about it, the, our current cultural crisis with pornography, I think it's more than just this issue, but I think it's something that answers all of these questions. It's like, this will give you more, I will give it now with no risk, and I'll give it to you easy, piece of cake. Or, even though it's not bad and I like them, it's the same mentality behind, like, hungry man dinners or something. Like, you get more, you get it now, and you get it easy. Those are fine to eat, but there's a reason they sell. Because it touches all those things. It gives us exactly what we want. It feels safe, and it feels secure. But if we look at Paul's letter and see his warnings here, is it might not be quite as safe as we think. If we have multiple assets, there's a risk of missing out on the one purpose. If we cheat or bend the rules, there's a chance we may not come to the true reward. And if we don't put in the effort, then there's the possibility of passing over the potential harvest. So what do we do? If that feels safe, but there's some risk, do we have another alternative that may be different, that may have a little bit less risk? And let's look on. Paul here gives in chapter 2, in the first three verses before this, he gives three commands. In verse 1, he says, be strengthened by God's grace. In verse 2, he says to entrust to other men or other people. In verse 3, he says to share in suffering as a good soldier for Jesus. Now, we could talk about all of these separately and see... You know, the nuance that each one has, but for our purposes tonight, I really want to look at the, what's in common between all of these things. And what is in common is that all three of these commands, rather than protecting himself, would involve Timothy giving up on himself and putting all of his chips onto Christ and how he will direct his life. So essentially, Paul is telling Timothy to go all in on only one bet and put all of your chips on Christ and his purposes and his purposes alone. How does this work? We look at this command to be strengthened by God's grace. And first, we you know grace, it just essentially means unmerited favor. 
It means the delight and, um, of God that's directed towards you that's undeserved. And be strengthened is a passive command. It's not that something that Timothy can go and do on his own. That he is utterly dependent on God's movement towards him and God to act if Timothy is going to have the favor of God. There's no way, nothing he can do to make himself more secure in that. He is completely dependent on God to do it for him. I mean, two, look at this command to entrust to entrust the teaching to other people. And there's a couple things about this. First, if Timothy were to entrust his work to other people, then in the first place, that he is going to lose a large measure of control, even quality control, over what, you know, what's going to happen. You know, people are going to be making decisions, people are going to be saying things that he would no longer have control over. And so that's risky. He has to give it up a little bit. But also, I mean, if we think about it too, this is, it kind of compromises Timothy's job security, as it were. I don't know if you guys have ever uh, been in trade fields or know this situation. I painted houses for a couple of years after coming out of college. In 2007, 2008, the exact worst time you, want to, you wanted to be in any kind of field that had to do with the housing market. Um, but as the, the economy went south and jobs are harder and harder to come by. As a young guy, it was very hard to get the old guys who were experienced to teach you how to do specialized skills. Because if they could do the specialized skills, they knew that they couldn't be fired because they were needed. So they wouldn't, if they were to go and teach all the young guys how to do this, then they would no longer be needed anymore. They wouldn't be that essential, respected place in the community. So there's a lot here that Timothy would have to give up in order to follow through on this command and giving up to others. And lastly, this is where the rubber really meets the road for us, to share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I mean, suffering really is the ultimate giving everything up. I mean, we might want to ask the question, I mean, so if we are to suffer, I mean, isn't the presence of suffering the very definition that I am indeed not safe? I mean, isn't, isn't safety like keeping suffering out of my life? That's at least what it feels like. So, I mean, this is allowing God to put us in any situation. I mean, to continue to follow Him, even when it is difficult. You know, that, that involves a huge amount of giving up on our own, on, or Timothy's or any of our own self-interest. It's really hard. You know, I think essentially what Paul is telling Timothy here is the exact same teaching that Paul is following that he learned from Jesus. Like in Matthew 16 where he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is a radically different version of safety than what feels safe. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's the exact opposite. What does this look like for us? It might look like something like, you know, rather than being strengthened by God's grace, rather than, you know, defending ourselves or even passing judgment on others, we might say something like, you know, honey, I've been critical of you for years and it just keeps coming up. But in reality, I have had this humongous anger problem that I have been venting on you 
saying that it's your issue because of the frustrations that I keep having with you. But in reality, it's been me that's been in the wrong the whole time. And you've been right. You've tried to say it. But I'll renounce my rights of being right and claim only the righteousness of Jesus and I'm willing to work on this with you. I mean, that would be hard, right? What about else? I mean, we can't really entrust like Timothy can, but there are lots of ways we can't entrust the work of ministry to others, most of us, because most of us are not in the work of ministry, but we can be very generous. And we can cultivate in ourselves a missional heart that cares more about the spread of the gospel than our own role in it. Or in being called to suffer, you know, we could turn away from pleasures or self-centered pursuits that, you know, we know are not edifying. And embracing the cost that comes with following Jesus. Or we might endure in a painful situation and continue to look to Christ for comfort, even though it feels like all he gives us is pain and frustration. We might continue to love others that are difficult to love and who, in fact, don't like his back. Does that strike you as intuitive advice? I don't think so. I mean, this is really hard. When we really unpack the implications of what this would mean, um, it's difficult. And I realize some of us, we, coming to this, we all have very different reasons for hedging our bets and having resistance to go all in for Christ. Uh, some of us, we need more proof. We're not quite sure about it, the truth of it in the first place, and maybe that's a really big risk to take. For some of us, the cost is too big. Some of us may want to, but we feel an inability to do so. I don't think any of us are coming at it from the situation. If we're honest, we say that that is something that I can do. You are right. You know, I'll change my ways and I will do just that. Because we can't do it. I mean, with the human flesh, there is no way that we can fully give ourselves up and put it all in and put all of our bets on Christ. So how do we choose? On the one hand, we have what feels safe, but there are warnings they might not be so safe. On the other hand, we have these commands that we can't do. So what do we do? You know, which one do we pick? I think in order to, order to understand this choice, we have to understand a little bit more about this grace that has been given us in Christ Jesus. And the grace that is in Christ Jesus, this unmerited favor has very little to do about the choices that we make. And it has everything to do with the choice that Christ and God the Father and the Spirit together made for us. And that is, when Paul tells Timothy not to diversify his assets, but to have only one, when Christ came, he only did one thing. He put all of his chips on the Father's will, and he fully did it to completion. Philippians 2, 8 and 9 says, Christ made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He didn't have any other securities on the side, only one goal, all the way to the end. And when Paul tells Timothy not to bend the rules, Christ bent no rules in his life. Even when he was offered ways out, when he was starving in the wilderness, 
And when Satan offered him immediate rewards and immediate certainties that he could have to shortchange his life, he did not take it. And when Christ even asked his own father if there was another way, and his father said no, he said, okay, I will do it your way. And finally, when Paul tells Timothy not to take the easy way out, but to work hard, Hebrews 12.2 says, For the joy he was set before him, Christ, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God because of it. He did not grow tired, but he continued all the way to the end. And all of these things he did for you, because you cannot consistently make a good choice. So where does that leave us? On the one hand, that leaves us in a place of relative safety in regard to God's promises. Because God's promises to you are not dependent on you consistently making good choices at claiming them and them alone. It's only dependent on what Christ did and what Christ did for you. So those promises are yours because of Christ, even when you mess up and make poor choices. But on the other hand, we have to ask this question. I mean, that gives us a wonderful sense of safety and that is wonderful news, but we still are left with this choice. I mean, how do we choose? Does that mean it just doesn't matter? I think it's this. This is the situation that Paul is telling Timothy as someone belonging to Christ. You know, you can hedge your bets all your life and you can spend all of your energy trying to shore up every bet that may possibly go south in the name of your own safety. And all you are going to learn from that are all of the areas where your bets might potentially fail and where you need more safety. And that is an anxious life that you could pursue. And the risk is that in that, in trying to do that, then you are going to live your life, we are going to live our lives not knowing this unmerited favor and complete devotion that Christ has shown us on the cross. That would be a poor trade. And on the other hand, if we were to embrace the call of discipleship and the implications of belonging to Christ, and we are to faithfully follow Him according to His instructions, even when it means suffering, it is in that place that Christ promises where we will find mercy and be given help in the time of need. And it is in that place, in that suffering, where we learn more about what Christ did for us and the security that we have because of what He did, even what we struggle to do. So the big payoff of this is that you will see Jesus. And you will see the safety and the security that the cross grants us and that we get from His life. So have we eliminated all risk here in making a choice? I don't think we have because following Christ really costs us everything. I mean, it's, it's, it leaves nothing, nothing outside of His control. But the cross, I think, demonstrates for us a type of security and a type of safety that we can get nowhere else and a place where we can find that true love to fill up our hearts that we might have that fulfillment in life that we truly crave. So what I hope to learn from this and what I pray for you guys 
is essentially that you would just be strengthened, like Paul says, from this unmerited favor that's been given us in Christ Jesus. And like in Hebrews 12 says, that we would lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and and run with endurance the race that is set before us and looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray that he would help us to do that. Dear Father, we have all of these choices in front of us that we struggle to make every day. We acknowledge that, but we are thankful for Christ, that you sent him to do what we could not. And we thank you for this wonderful gift of grace that you gave to us. I pray that you would strengthen us by your spirit, that you would help us to walk in that and find security in Christ alone, and that we would be able to follow him because of what he did. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.